0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Naturalist Capitalist. I am doing this one from the cab of my truck in Port Waneme, California, picking up a bulldozer first thing tomorrow morning and heading back to Utah with it. So hopefully we don't have too many technical difficulties with the streaming. So you all know how it goes from the truck. It's uh, hit or miss. Uh, If any of you are new here, please subscribe to the channel. And then in the links in the description, you could follow me on Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I'm also on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, make sure you follow me on all those platforms because I'm known to disappear from uh, platforms from time to time. So I'm trying to diversify a little bit more this time because I kind of had all my eggs in one basket last time. Anyway, we got a good show tonight. We have Keith Knight on the other end. How you doing, man?
1: do an excellent read excellent uh, idea to diversify your social media portfolio because if you put all your eggs in one basket it's pretty difficult
0: yes so this is your first time on the show you've had me on your show twice which i thank you for having me on and uh could you just give us a little intro uh who you are what you do and why you got into it what what inspired you to get into this
1: I run the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast at the Libertarian Institute with Sheldon Richman, Scott Horton, Kyle Lanzalone Patrick McFarlane, and a number of other libertarian gentlemen. Basically, I am all about uh, changing the way people think about... Uh, decriminalizing capitalist acts between consenting adults. If I really had to narrow it down, I would say that's probably my biggest issue for the same reason I believe in uh, freedom for people to choose their religion or freedom of speech. I believe in freedom for commercial interactions. It's uh, not only the most moral thing, but uh, allows the most amount of people to increase their uh, net wealth. So I think it's so vitally important that these kind of ideas more or less defeat the ideas of statism of coercion so i started the podcast just so i could stop repeating myself and just link people to things instead of me having to constantly say the same thing again and again and i had planned on only doing a few episodes that's why my first episodes don't even have a microphone I thought I'd be done real quick, and then here I am, probably like 700 videos later. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that YouTube count is correct, but it says 765, so maybe it's uh, m- maybe it's accurate. But yeah, uh, my uh, most popular videos are titled Propaganda Analysis, where I'll go through an article and try and uh, decipher it. Uh, we also talk about history, politics. I do a lot of interviews. That is uh, more or less uh, how I got here and what the show's about.
0: Sweet. So tonight we're going to be talking about Yemen, and I don't know enough about Yemen. I certainly know a lot more than the average person, but it's still not enough, so I wanted to have someone on who actually really knows what he's talking about, and I didn't, I know you did a speech in uh, Phoenix recently, and we'll be kind of touching on that to, uh, throughout this episode. We'll be looking at your notes that you had uh, from that speech, so I'm just going to give the basic outline of what, what I understand, so uh, we've... We thought that after the Iraq war, that somehow with a Shiite majority country, even though it was ruled by a Sunni minority, that they wouldn't choose a Shiite government after we overthrew their Sunni government. And then they obviously chose a Shiite government anyway, uh, which basically aligned the country with Iran. And then also Obama got into the Iran deal with Iran. So Saudi Arabia was basically like, what the fuck? You know, you're supposed to be our friends and you're helping the Iranians. And so then they kind of twisted Obama's arm and he said, all right, fine, I'll help you genocide the Houthis in Yemen. And we've basically been helping him ever since I think that's 2014. Correct.
1: That was in uh, t- 2015. Uh, uh, 2015. I will uh, uh, I'll go over it uh, in detail in my notes. But yeah, I guess the Saudis are just the jealous uh, ex boyfriend of the Middle East. Who I mean, y- you can't even talk to Iran without them uh, g- getting upset. So um, yeah, basically the the original justification for intervention in Yemen you can read about in Barack Obama's book A Promised Land. He says. I thought about what John Brennan and FBI director Robert Mueller had told me in briefings on the shooting, Fort Hood. Hassan, a U.S.-born Muslim with a troubling record of erratic behavior, appeared to have been radicalized over the Internet. In particular, he'd been inspired by and repeatedly sent emails to a charismatic Yemeni-American cleric named Anwar al-Awlaki, who had a broad international following and was believed to be the leading figure in al-Qaeda's increasingly active branch in Yemen. He then goes on to say, when it came to repatriation for people in Gitmo, for instance, many low-levels detainees came from countries that didn't have the capacity to safely handle their return. In fact, the largest contingent, 99 men, was from Yemen, a dirt poor country with a barely functioning government, deep tribal conflicts, and the single most active al-Qaeda chapter outside Pakistan's federally administered tribal areas. So here is Obama's original justification for going into Yemen. We're going into Yemen to fight AQAP, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. This is an organization that is responsible for killing uh, 17 sailors in 2000 uh, on a uh, Yemeni harbor. It's referred to as the USS Cole bombing uh, was a suicide attack in the year uh, 2000. So in response to that drone program, you have a CIA uh, officer, John Kariaku, uh, commenting on this, uh, th- this operation. And this is what the CIA said with regard to the drone operation. Well, the truth of the matter is that the drone program is probably the most potent recruiting tool that foreign terrorist groups have. I can tell you, that I have interrogated dozens of Al Qaeda fighters in my CIA years and to a man, they all said that they had no beef with the United States. They had no personal problem with the United States until we rocketed their villages with drones and we killed their cousin or their parents or their brother or sister or whatever it was. And they were compelled to take up arms against the United States. So there are people in countries all over the region, not just the Middle East, but South Asia and the Horn of Africa, that otherwise would not have had reason to take up arms against us and did so solely because of the drone program. Final words on the original entrance into Yemen come from the drone papers published by The Intercept. I want to say probably 10 years ago at, uh, at this point. But referring to the period of uh, 2012, 2013, the intercept reports, during one five-month period of the operation, according to the documents, nearly 90% of the people killed in airstrikes were not the intended targets. In Yemen and Somalia, where the U.S. had far more limited intelligence capabilities to confirm the people killed are the intended targets, the equivalent ratios may well be much worse so he's starting a drone program that creates more terrorists and kills civilians this is so so this is like the good part of the war this is their best argument for intervention into yemen because they have a lot of al-qaeda the u.s declared uh war on international terrorism especially al-qaeda in 2001 so this is the first section of what uh, we need to understand uh, about uh, the yemen war.
0: Gotcha. So, what do the uh, what beef do the Saudis have with Yemen? Why do they hate Yemen so much? What is the what is the history behind that?
1: As far as it uh, being their international uh, or, or not international, their regional rival, I'm not sure about uh, how far back it goes. But certainly, with any country that borders you, you want there to be a friendly government or a puppet government. So, in the same way, uh, Putin wants uh, Ukraine to have Yanukovych instead of Zelensky, and the same reason the U.S. wants Zelensky instead of uh, Yanukovych, Um, simply uh, being geographically close to another area, governments have a big interest in installing or supporting or allying with these governments. Now, one important thing about this is that the U.S. couldn't just start waging war in another sovereign country against uh, even insurgents there. So what they did was Barack Obama uh, going back to the days of uh, Dick Cheney in 2002, George Bush in 2007 had an agreement with the Yemeni government a guy's name is Saleh. He was president of I forget the name of northern Yemen. uh it, but uh, b- between 1978 and 1990, he was the president of northern Yemen. This was an uh, Arab Republic and then president of all of Yemen from 1990 until uh, 2012. Now, what happened was there was the Arab Spring in 2011, starting in small places like Tunisia, later going to Egypt and a number of other places in the region. Hadi is facing assassination attempts, and he there's there's two attempts. And he actually gets injured by uh, by one of these. So he uh, so he sort of exit. He more or less exits the throne and an election is held with a guy named Hadi. Now, Hadi was Salah's vice president. Hadi wins this election. The reason he does is because if you look at the ballot, there is literally one person on this ballot. Ballot here. You could find it at uh, npr.org. It's in my notes, but those notes are so are so cluttered. It's uh, g- going to be impossible to find. Um, so after holding this election in 2012, Hadi wins this one man election. Now, what happens after is the U.S. starts working with the Hadi government as well as the Houthis. To target Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, just as they were working with the previous government to target Al Qaeda, they're now working with the Houthi regime to right. uh, to more or less uh, to target uh, people in here now. Uh, so,
0: just to clarify, this is referencing what you just read off your notes. At this time, this is why we're intervening. We're on the side of the Houthis against Al Qaeda at this point. Correct?
1: Correct. Um, now. Uh, When you say at this point, uh, (laughs) temporarily, the U.S. allied with it goes back and forth so much temporarily. They allied with the Houthis. Here is the justification for that. I I do want to pull up this quote because it's from Lloyd Austin. It was just so telling that this is how they more or less talk about things. Okay, uh, y- you can more or less uh, get, uh, get rid of that. Um, okay, we don't uh, I'll, I'll, gotcha. I'll I'll just go by my hand. Uh, okay. According to the Wall Street Journal, the military had no problem with the Houthis and was instead happy to have motivated enemies of Al-Qaeda to work with in Yemen. So now at this point, after Hadi is not able to retain power. Hadi wages war against the Houthis, and the Houthis respond and take over the capital. So now the Houthis are calling the shots in Yemen. The U.S. now is allied with the Houthis. Here's uh, Lloyd Austin, uh, who was uh, commander uh, of Central Command at the time. The Wall Street Journal says, the U.S. has formed ties with Houthi rebels who seize control of Yemen's capital. White House officials and rebel commanders said in the clearest indication of a shift in the U.S. approach there as it seeks to maintain its fight against a key branch of Al-Qaeda. You also have uh, the then deputy secretary of defense of intelligence, Michael Vickers. Uh, He was speaking to the Atlantic Council. He said senior U.S. intelligence uh, official. I'm sorry. This is uh, from a, a summary of the Atlantic Council. Official Michael Vickers said January 21st that the United States is continuing attacks on Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, AQAP, despite ongoing violence in the Yemeni capital, Sana'a, and has an intelligence relationship with the Houthi insurgent group that has seized much of the capital since September. Vickers, in response to a question from Al-Monitor, stated the Houthis are anti-Al-Qaeda and we've been able to continue some of our counterterrorism operations against al-Qaeda in the past months. So we have two very reliable sources saying that the U.S. is now working with the Houthis. Then comes um, 2015. Yes, I guess we can move, uh, move up to there. Here is the Atlantic. It's important because when you see that this is rec- recorded on these mainstream outlets that have wide respect it's just mind-blowing that it still hasn't gotten more attention. So, since 2015, Saudi Arabia has targeted Yemen's Shia Houthi militias and their allies, loyalists of former President Saleh, who two years ago seized the Yemeni capital, Sana'a, by force. Several months later, they drove the Saudi-backed president, Hadi, into exile. When Saudi King Solomon announced the intervention in Yemen, an intervention in the kingdom, has painted as a proxy war with Iran, its regional foe. The White House immediately authorized a support package that included intelligence sharing and logistical support for military operations. That package has seen the United States deliver more than 40 million pounds of fuel to Saudi jets over the past 18 months. According to U.S. Central Command, the Saudis would be crippled without direct U.S. military assistance, particularly aerial refueling, which continues unabated. So we explicitly have not only the U.S. working with the Houthis, them switching sides against the Houthis, now working with the Saudis because this new prince wanted to do what is commonly referred to as um, a situation of strength where a government thinks they can have an easy win and win a lot of approval. This is what Waco was for with the ATF. They thought they could go in, bring all these kids out and say, look at all the kids we saved. So yeah. governments are constantly picking on tiny little targets just to show how strong they are to increase their legitimacy in sometimes it's also referred to as a show of force. Anything on that uh, before I move on?
0: Yeah. So <laughs> the only comment I have is we already had practiced this in 2006 when we uh, had fought Al Qaeda in Iraq and then decided in 2006 to basically start supporting them um, so I guess we're uh, we were already we were already at a we'd already given this a dry run. So I guess we were just trying it again in Yemen. <laughs> it,
1: it It's unbelievable. It, it's like they they just never learn. They didn't say, um, all right, who's been wrong about the Middle Eastern wars? Let's get them out. All right. Uh, who was calling this Ukrainian uh, crisis years ago? Well, the CIA director, William Burns, is certainly one of them. But guys like John J. Mearsheimer uh, in 2014 called called this entire thing. I don't it, i shouldn't have gotten into ukraine but the point is is that they face no incentive and governments tend to attract the most evil people who didn't even care in the first place they go we didn't learn all right well then we just need more funding so we can learn better it, it's it's so vitally important to realize that the state is the health of war just as war is the health of the state if there's a group you can't opt out of funding and very often gets to conscript people against their will, there's going to be a lot more war than if you have to voluntarily fund it. There's no moral double standard for the state in the minds of the masses. You're just really asking for this to to always continue. So that, I guess, is the heart of the issue. Now, what matters is, what motivated the Obama government to see this as uh, something they should uh, get into? Here is... An explanation from two former Obama administration officials, Robert Malley and uh, Stephen Pomper. They said, why the U.S. got entangled in this war and why a president so determined to keep the country out of another Mideast military mess nonetheless got caught in this one makes for a painful story. In March 2015, Saudi Arabia came to the U.S. with a request for support in a campaign it vowed to conduct regardless After that, and although events took place a mere four years ago, memories blur. In our conversations, many former U.S. officials found it hard to recall what precisely the Saudis asked for, what specific commitments the administration made in response, and when certain types of assistance started to flow. Some, including one of us who attended the deliberations, recall a deeply ambivalent president who greenlighted U.S. support but insisted to be confined to the defense of Saudi territory and not extended to the war against the Houthis. Others don't recall hearing about that instruction and struggle to reconcile it with what the U.S. actually did during the war, including refueling coalition sorties and replenishing weapons stocks. They go on to say, um, that government has been toppled by an insurgent group, the Houthis, although the extent of its ties to Iran was debatable and debated, their existence was indisputable. That's how you know they're lying when they say, we know this for sure, and don't, uh, and don't cite uh, any evidence. Arab uprisings, even more so, it's negotiations over a nuclear deal with Tehran. So that is the uh th- that is the general justification uh y- you were correct earlier in mentioning the u.s had a deal with iran saudis didn't like it that's why the u.s more or less had to placate uh saudi arabia in uh in backing them in this war so yeah that is uh obama's original justification, Obama Deputy National Secretary Advisor Ben Rhodes later said that it was bin Salman's mentor, bin Salman, the uh, Deputy Defense Minister of Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates' Muhammad bin Zayed, who first came seeking to sell the war to them. So this is how the Obama administration was pulled in and uh, chose to greenlight the uh, Saudi uh, response to uh, to Yemen. Also, one more thing, when it comes to the motives behind a conflict like this, uh, it, you'll you'll be not surprised at all to find out it's uh, both parties. Uh, Donald Trump, November 20th, 2018, statement from President Donald J. Trump on standing with Saudi Arabia. Trump said, of the $450 billion, 110 billion will be spent on the purchase of military equipment from Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, and many other great US defense contractors. So this is explicitly a war for the military industrial complex to sell weapons to the Saudis, even though they are in a mass murder campaign in Yemen. Uh, Anything on that?
0: Yeah. So how much of it is explicitly for the military industrial complex and how much of it is because of our agreement in the 70s with the Saudis that if they priced oil in dollars, we would give them certain protections does this extend beyond this the certain protections we offered to give them is this is this being extra generous and going up you know over the top or does this fit into that agreement from the 70s do you think
1: well certainly having those uh commitments uh that those do have after effects but usually they're just justifications that can be used at any time so if i make uh, you know 50 laws it's better that I make 200 laws because then at any point I could, it increases the likelihood I could find a justification I want. This is like British Parliament in the First World War looking for a justification to wage war on Germany. And they found in 1839 that if Belgium independence is violated, they can declare war on uh, on that nation. So, I mean, decades and decades later, they were able to find something that didn't apply to the current ruling class and could have been solved more peacefully. Governments are constantly looking for this justification, but certainly that, uh, th- that, incentive would fit. Um, I, I, I don't know the details of course, uh, any time that something can only be purchased in your currency gives you a ton of leverage. That's why the potential, uh, ruble only, uh, uh declaration from Putin is really difficult and it is uh, shooting ourselves in the foot the more we sanction and vilify mostly innocent Russians and, uh, and uh, Putin as well.
0: Yeah. So the other thing is you were mentioning how this is a, this has been a bipartisan effort. Biden has been the most reserved out of the last three presidents, Trump, uh, Obama and Biden. He's been the most reserved. And while he was running, he campaigned on ending support for this effort. Uh, That the Saudis uh, have been doing in Yemen. Uh, Of course, when he got in, he didn't actually end any support, but they've been angry. That the Saudis have been angry at Biden just for the language he's used surrounding this issue, even though he hasn't done anything to actually end it. So, um, (laughs) like, what's what's with that? Like, I mean, is he has he actually done anything to end it? Am I wrong in saying that he really hasn't made any moves? It's just all been um it's all been talk or has he actually tried to do anything
1: there's been uh nothing significant but we did get some good news recently which i'll uh go over soon here um uh no he had originally said this in an article published by joe biden i'm to to even uh, to even say i'm sorry authored by joe biden uh, to just see his name as the author is just hilarious. I mean, uh, heaven knows who wrote this thing. But yes, in that, I was surprised to see that um, he said, we need to stop uh, the- sending weapons to the Saudis because of their uh, crimes in Yemen. So that was just so shocking. It's like, wow, he, uh, he really is uh, pulling back on this thing. Maybe they think, you know what? We've gotten away with murder, literally, for years and years just in this uh, theater alone. We better call our shots. uh, We better uh, call this tab before uh, we totally bankrupt ourselves as far as international recognition goes. I mean, because how many uh, what if there were like 20 mainstream stories at once about this or 20 journalists? It would just crash. It it would to the same extent that uh, Biden originally had this mask mandate for his first hundred days, but saw that he had no public support, so he just ditched it. If people saw the extent to which, uh, how ridiculous of a war of choice this is, and the levels of destruction, it would delegitimize this regime in ways that, that are just monumental. In the same way, LBJ had a lot of difficulty responding when people saw Uh, footage of uh, what was actually happening in Vietnam and war wasn't just some vague foggy thing happening a thousand miles away. So yeah, it's very dangerous if, uh, if enough people appreciate uh, the depravity of, uh, of this.
0: Yeah. So when uh, Trump was still president, I find this so ironic because he's hailed as some (laughs) anti-war president, but when uh, I think Bernie Sanders led the resolution in the Senate to end the war in Yemen, and it passed, and then he vetoed it. <laughs> that That's was right. uh, yeah. That was quite a moment, because it seemed like we actually had some public will to end this thing, mm-hmm. and then Trump overrode it and kept it going.
1: Yeah, just, uh, just unreal. Now, uh, one more thing as far as whether this is just happening and the U.S. isn't stopping it, or whether there is actual uh, participation. We-, we got one more piece of... Uh, of information in favor of this is a U.S.-Saudi coalition as opposed to just something that the Saudis are to blame for. So this is from Enough Already by Scott Horton. He says, in place of a declaration of war by the elected Congress of the world's oldest constitutional republic, on March 25th, 2015, National Security Council spokeswoman Bernadette Mahin released a written statement in support of GCC. This is the Gulf Cooperation Council actions to defend against Houthi violence, President Obama has authorized the provision of logistical and intelligence support to GCC-led military operations. While U.S. forces are not taking direct military action in Yemen in support of this effort, we are establishing a JPC, joint planning cell, with Saudi Arabia to coordinate U.S. military and intelligence support. So, I mean, it, it, it's so clear that this was totally greenlit by the world's superpower. Now, when they say uh, logistics and intelligence support, that's so vague, of course, as you know, they could turn uh, any legislation into uh, any justification. You just got to find the right uh, judge to do so. If you remember, Donald Trump is giving a State of the Union speech, and he said, this is one of my guests. Uh, this woman, unfortunately, lost her husband um, in a uh, very uh, productive uh, intelligence gathering uh, that we were doing in Yemen, the, the, you know, this uh, fallen soldier and everyone stands up and claps. And I think, you know, Van Jones said at that moment he became president. And I'm sitting with a guy who's, who looks at me and goes, we're in Yemen? And I look at him and I <laughs> said, we're in Arizona, they're in Yemen. Uh, because I just can't uh, uh, appreciate that the state is uh, the, the people. The point is, is that he said this and so few people knew that there were operations going on in Yemen let alone Syria, Libya, Somalia right. fighting Jabhat al-Nusra uh, in or uh, aligning with Jabhat al-Nusra in Syria fighting al-Shabaab in Somalia all all of uh, all of these terrible things. Now it also matters who the co-conspirators are. It's not just the Saudis but against this Houthi regime is A.Q.A.P., which at the beginning, i that's why I mentioned Obama, his original justification for going in here is to fight al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. The people who were told are responsible for 9-11, they want an Islamic caliphate more or less across the planet because they hate democracy so much. Two things to mention on this. Uh, There's another quote from Enough Already by uh, Scott Horton. Um, he quotes the New York Times, so it's him quoting the New York Times, from June 10th, 2015. In recent weeks, the al-Qaeda affiliate in Yemen has allied with armed tribes to fight Iranian-backed Houthi rebels, putting that alliance on the same side of the country's civil war as the United States and Saudi Arabia. New York Times. In Syria, al-Qaeda allied fighters are important members of a rebel coalition against President Bashar al-Assad that includes groups supported by the West. Uh, Barack Obama famously came out and said, Gaddafi needs to go, and he went. He also came out and said, Assad needs to go, and this heavily escalated things in Syria. Assad is uh, is still there. But here is an email from 2012 by Jake Sullivan. Jake Sullivan is the current Joe Biden national security advisor. You could find a lot of his speeches on uh, the Council on Foreign Relations YouTube channel. He said in an email, Uh, see last item, AQ is on our side in Syria. Otherwise, things have basically turned out as expected. So what's happening is Al Qaeda is in an alliance with America in the Syrian war against Assad, also allied with them in Yemen against the Houthi regime that took over after Hadi the one-man election guy was not able to fight the Houthis, who he originally picked a war with. I mean, the level of cluster, you know what, is just so astounding in all of these conflicts. But the fact that they're allied with al-Qaeda, I mean, if you would have told someone this September 12th of 2001, they, they would have been so shocked that they wouldn't even know what you're saying. So this it's so evil and it's so inexcusable and all of the excuses of, well, um, you know, well, sometimes they got to keep secrets from us. It's for the greater good. You have to explain why they constantly lie relentlessly. If it's so good, surely we could not only fund it voluntarily, but they could just tell us the truth about it. Hey, we're doing this yeah. really good thing. Don't you love us? So um, yeah, so, uh, Any uh, anything on that? I think I got only a a few more things i i don't mean to beat this dead horse but heavens it's just so incredible that they're getting away with this mass murder while i still hear about january 6th from stephen colbert to this day
0: well what's amazing is you know the the big bad boogeyman in the u.s the the united states recent history has been the nazis the soviets and Islamic extremists, and we've armed all of them, you know, to fight against each other. It's just, it's just kind of insane. And uh, they just try to convince us that every time they arm somebody, they're moderate. So these are the moderate Nazis in Ukraine. They're the moderate rebels in Syria. Uh, you know, the the Saudis are actually better than the rest of these countries surrounding them. They're, you know, I don't, I don't think any, you know, the the difference between like, um, trying to crack the The idea of unconditional funding for Israel is a little harder because Israel, in a lot of ways, its culture is more westernized where Saudi Arabia just isn't like I don't I don't think any average American if you ask them, (laughs) you know, what do you think about Saudi Arabia, some of them might be like, well, we get oil from them, but I don't think anyone would think that they're a moral country or that their culture is moderate in any way. Would you agree with that? Do you think that they're not very popular to the average American?
1: Yeah, certainly not. I mean, they're they're a monarchy. And I'm told monarchy is just so terrible to the point where uh, democracy is worth violently enforcing. Um, So, yeah, certainly a lot of uh, people. But then again, look at the incentive. If the average person, finds out a ton about Saudi Arabia and a ton about politics, they get a one in a hundred million vote to determine who the president is. And whether you have a Democrat or Republican, they're still giving money to the Saudis, justifying the crimes of the Israelis. They're justifying the NSA spying apparatus. They're still bad on social security. They still engage in economic regulation. So you yourself would have to bear the opportunity cost of less time with family, Less time doing things you love, less time at work, less time relaxing, and dedicate yourself to learning about all of this just so you could get a one in 100 million vote to determine who the president is, and most of them lie about what they run on, so it's it's almost not even worth it. That's why it's so important to recognize, yes, this is bad, and there's a solution called voluntarism and libertarianism. Because I mean, it's it, it is Scott's first book is called Fool's Errand, talking about uh, Afghanistan, which we also sell at uh, the Libertarian Institute. But think of the fool's errand of getting so many people involved in something, having them bear a huge cost just so they can have a one in a hundred million vote. It, it that is actual utopianism. The thing they always criticize us for. They are the ultimate utopians if uh, if they believe that. Yeah. I. I only got uh, a couple more things on this. So uh, now, as far as the number of people killed and the terrible devastation this humanitarian crisis is causing, the the Saudi and United Arab Emirates approach to this is to engage in, uh, I guess you could call it civilian warfare, but uh, one of the uh, approaches is to make the the civilians, which is good news in the sense that um, they realize that civilians have, you know, the power of public opinion behind them and they can stop recognizing a regime. They intentionally punish the civilians in hopes that the civilians will get so angry, so fed up with their regime that they then violently overthrow their regime. So uh, conservatives who are terrified of getting called racist are telling people to take up guns and violently overthrow a government and get shot at i mean do, do you not understand how difficult this is we're going to starve <laughs> you until you violently overthrow your own government it's it, it's absolutely absurd but this was the same approach that america had to iraq after the first gulf war when we had this do saddam you think the price was <laughs> worth it no, yeah re- <laughs> yeah really well that that's what that's from this is um gosh, UN ambassador, uh, secretary of state, Madeleine Albright, who yeah. uh, recently- Just died. Uh, who, yeah, Who died. Um, <laughs> it's gotta be a heck of a party with, uh, yeah. with David Rockefeller and, and <laughs> Madeleine <laughs> Albright. I, I, I'd love to join that. Um, <laughs> so that was uh, the, the justification that what we're going to do is we're going to get these people to rise up against their government rise up but you if you enter the capital without a permission slip you're the devil also these people should start shooting at Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi and Assad just just ridiculous. So this is their at least front that they put on they say well we have to do these things to get the people to rise up against their government so they murder people and enslave them so they could be as free as a country that uh, makes you watch TV to see if uh, the the governor allows you to go outside without a suffocation device on. I got to move on from that or else we're just going to be on it forever. So as far as the real world results of this, uh, here is, again, I'm quoting from enough already. In 2019, uh, Major General David C. Hill, Deputy Commander of CENTCOM, confirmed to the AFP that the U.S. was still helping the Saudis with targeting their air war. Aside from the war never being authorized, the coalition has been committing war crimes since the beginning. For years, the Saudis have deliberately bombed the country's infrastructure and other civilian targets, such as the electricity, water and sewage works, schools, hospitals, factories, bridges, farms, markets, car and truck dealerships, fishermen in their boats, weddings, funerals, civilian apartment buildings, refugee camps, and even near ancient homes that had been passed down for families for generations. In 2019, the United Nations finally increased their number. They had said there were 10,000 deaths, estimating that 233,000 had been killed, 100,000 in direct violence, the other 130,000 from deprivation caused by the war. 60% of the dead were children under the age of five. The group Save the Children counted 85,000 dead children in this deliberately inflicted famine back in the fall of 2018. In October 2020, the UN warned another 100,000 children were at risk of dying due to malnutrition. This is from the blockade. So just as... Um, Churchill's uh, blockade of Germany in the First World War, when he was uh, Lord of the Admiralty, you basically are starving a nation to death. It's going outside of someone's house with a gun and saying, you can plant all the food you want in your own backyard, but if you try to go to the store or trade with anyone else, I'm gonna kill you. That is what you could call foreign regulation of, uh, of people's economy. It's, it's all this regulation for, uh, for everyone's greater good uh, when it comes to economic violence uh, for something like this. So I'm using the numbers from the Council on Foreign Relations because usually if they can admit something, they have gone uh, to, to the extent of you know putting it in a favorable light. This was updated April 15th, 2022. Estimated number of people in need of humanitarian assistance, 20.7 million. Estimated number of people killed since 2015, 111,000. Estimated number of internally displaced persons, 4.2 million. I mean, imagine paying off your house, getting a house, and your house blowing up, (laughs) and all your belongings. I mean, as evil as taxation is for taking 30% of uh, your money, uh, imagine your house just getting totally blown up. And then uh, people telling you that without government, there would be chaos and governments are explicitly engaged in uh, in these horrific crimes. So So that is just how
0: accurate do you think those numbers are? Because that's what I was going to ask you before you said, you know, CFR numbers, they're going to be conservative. So if you had to guess, like any any idea, like how close to the mark that is or.
1: I would say that's close because there's been a lot of pressure since 2018 for them to more or less start calling the shots accurately because they know if their numbers are so off, if the UN is still saying 10,000 after you know years of there being airstrikes against civilians, they know that that's just not going to fly. So incentives really matter when it comes to reporting. Like if OJ Simpson came out and said, uh, I'm innocent and never killed anyone, that would not be news. No one would really care. But if OJ came out and said, you know what, I did uh, kill my wife and uh, and the waiter, Ron Goldman, well, that would be breaking news. And a lot of people would say, ah, look, that's proof. So uh, yes, the OJ example is just important because yes, sometimes the New York Times and CNN can be reliable. You know when where their incentives lie and you know if they who have every incentive to report the opposite, are reporting it. They're probably doing it as a result of competition pressure. That, Look, we got to admit this. We can spin it 50 other ways, but in this case, we're going to say uh, something or other. That's not exactly always in, uh, in our favor. That's why incentives matter when it comes to reporting. So, uh, yeah, I think those uh, CFR statistics are probably the closest uh, that, that will come. Now, as of April 3rd, 2022, this is the Guardian. Yemen, two-month ceasefire begins with hopes for peace talks. Also, uh, the blockade has more or less ended and ships are now allowed to come into Yemeni ports and uh, they're able to engage in exchange. UN Special Envoy Hans Grunberg stresses importance of building on truce in effort to end six-year war. A UN brokered two month ceasefire in Yemen was broadly holding on its first full day, with oil shipments reaching the ports of Yemen, including some ships that have been barred from entering for 88 days. Here is the special envoy, Hans Grunberg. The aim of this truce is to give Yemenis a necessary break from violence, relief from the humanitarian suffering, and most importantly, hope that an end to this conflict is possible. The terms of the truce include facilitating the entry of 18 fuel fuel ships into the ports of Hadida H-O-D-E-I-D-A, and allowing two commercial flights a week to and from Sana'a's airport, Sana'a's the capital of Yemen, uh, to predetermined destinations. So it's not a total ANCAP victory, but it's a move in the right direction. The terms also include convening a meeting between the parties to agree on opening roads in the city of ties t-a-i-z and elsewhere to improve civilians freedom of movement inside yemen so we got two months of a ceasefire potential peace talks that is the latest and did i say the date on that april 3rd 2022 um so yeah that's uh where things are standing now
0: so does this give us any type of reconsideration to think if we're going to keep supporting this now that, you know, it seems like the Saudis have had enough of us and Biden has gestured that he wants to end this without doing anything. Does this ceasefire give us an opportunity to finally stop supporting the Saudis in Yemen? Or what do you think this is going to yield? Just a two-month ceasefire and then it's going to be over? What do you you expect to happen?
1: I'm hoping it'll end. I think it'll just be so difficult to go back to things just because of the, uh, the their inability to uh, have the victory of putting Hadi back on the throne. This is the guy who was installed with the one man election after Salah was assassinated and left and then waged war with the Houthis. The fact that he is never getting back on. Oh, and by the way, an interesting follow up, Salah, the original guy who left, he allied with the Houthis to take back the capital. I certainly hope I had made that clear earlier because this is g- quite difficult to uh, re- reiterate with uh, with names that are uh, hard to remember. Uh, he then tried to end this conflict by uh, having a meeting with the Saudis in 2017. The Houthis found out about this and then killed him and then took a picture and posted it online. You can find it. I think I just saw it the other day. I think it was. Uh, it should be citation seventy-one on the Wikipedia page for uh, Sala, president of Yemen. You can actually click there and see this uh, image. That's pretty. That's pretty crazy to think this guy had been president uh, in some sort of another uh, from nineteen seventy-eight until uh, twenty-twelve, and and then he allies with a group against his former vice president, tries to broker a peace deal with the Saudis and the Houthis kill him. Just unbelievable. So as far as whether this will be successful, it's such a great opportunity for them to just pretend like this never happened. Um <laughs> right. Just because I mean it, it you want to take your victory and leave. And victory in this case, since it's not going to be uh Hadi back on the throne, it has to be something like no one goes to jail for War crimes, or and the the reason that the only reason that would get enough public attention would be if Russia and China and Belarus come together and just start grilling America for its Yemen war to distract from uh, Russian war crimes in Ukraine, while the Ukrainians distract from Ukrainian war crimes against the people in the Donbass area, the Russian separatists. So if there is just an agreement between other powers that this is going to get a lot of light, there's just so little reward to keep this thing going that what once they thought was going to be, just as Bill Kristol went on C-SPAN and confidently said, well, this war in Iraq is not going to be like Vietnam. This is a war that's going to last two months. They really want these things to be, "We, we came, we saw, he died. That is what Hillary Clinton said about Gaddafi and Libya. And it's so important because that captures exactly what the situation of strength is supposed to do. It's supposed to increase legitimacy in the minds of the masses of this regime. Hey, when they want something, they get it done. That's the important thing. Um, So yeah, this would be a perfect way to say we didn't really do that or our hand was kind of forced or it was just because Iran, uh, You know, and and Iran wants nukes and they're now backing all these terrorists, the Hezbollah, the Houthis, allegedly. Um, So now would be a great time for them to more or less uh, just placate them uh, themselves and say that it was uh, much to do about nothing. And the bad things that happened were just because Iran uh, staged a coup through the Houthis. So I'm certainly hoping so. Now's a good time to walk away.
0: Yeah. So, how likely do you think that is? Do you think that people are going to uh, jump at it, or
1: seventy-five uh, percent likely? Okay. Just That's because, I, I, just because there's no major goal that they can rally support behind. Um, if there was something that, if there was some prize that they could have that would keep people's emotions going, uh, then then you'd be able to do it. But just like, I mean, Nixon uh, coming in. Uh, under Vietnam, you just got to find your opportunity to get out. You got to find enough of a distraction. You got to make a huge exit. And yeah, well, look at, uh, I would not have thought that uh, uh, the uh, Bagram uh, Air Force uh, base or uh, that uh, airport in Afghanistan would ever see U.S. troops leave. But sure enough, there is that, uh, that video of them exiting. And it was just unbelievable. And then, You see Biden going through with uh, making Ukraine a NATO member state in all but name. Trump is giving him javelins. Um, It's in their constitution to join NATO. Biden and Lloyd Austin explicitly give uh, arms to Ukraine after helping stage a coup in 2014 against Yanukovych. So it's very possible that not because they're so nice, but they either don't want to lose public support or they're doing it because they want to allocate their scarce ability to convince people to support things towards other, uh, t- towards other areas.
0: So what is our next move to placate the Saudis? Cause haven't we failed them on pretty much every front at this point? I mean, we've given them a lot of weapons, but none of their, none of their agenda really has played out well. Right. I mean, it seems to have backfired at every turn. So what's the next thing we're going to do for them or, do you think our alliance with them is shaky enough that it could end
1: you know what i would be so insecure about making a prediction that it would uh, it it would just be useless i never would have guessed that they would uh, that they would jump into a conflict like the one they did in uh, in yemen it, i i continue to be shocked by the uh, by the ruling class um the only thing i'm not shocked is just how evil they can be and new uh, ways they can come up with justifying it other than that i, I don't know what leverage they're going to use to keep this alliance they almost have to if china is voting you know neutral against russia going into ukraine they're going to have to do something to keep the saudi oil coming in and uh, right. stay friendly with uh, w- with the uae I can't imagine if there's any African countries or but I mean gosh Brazil, I, I heard they were even looking at, uh, at trading with Venezuela um, to uh, get more oil to compensate for cutoffs from Russia. And just a few years ago they were contemplating uh, overthrowing Maduro in Venezuela. I have no clue for me to uh, predict that uh, would not be would not be productive at all.
0: all right. Well, uh, any other thoughts on Yemen? Anything else you wanted to say, or is that pretty much wrap it up?
1: You know that uh, th- that pretty much wraps it up. What what I had said about the importance of uh, the state being the health of war is the big takeaway. Because of course, all we're doing is playing whack a mole with ruling class lies. If we don't get to the heart of this issue, it's like, all right, they're going into. Uh, Serbia and Kosovo and Bosnia. All right, let's look into this. And then they move on to Afghanistan. And then we got to look into that. And then Iraq. And then they say Iran's developing nukes. And then they're going into Syria. We can't just keep following every single one of these. And then in the middle of it, uh, they say uh, a virus now requires lockdowns. And you have to wash your hands and masks don't work. And then now they do work. I mean, they constantly are just playing these games with you. So it's virtually impossible to spend so much time to decipher the truth because even when you get the truth, they're now onto something else. So until we start holding uh, politicians to the same standards we'd hold any other organization to, voluntary funding, thou shall not murder, thou shall not steal, thou shall not bear false witness, uh, (laughs) then we're just asking for uh, f- for trouble in the future and it just comes from changing public uh, p- public opinion. just as it would be extremely difficult for one of us to start writing words on paper and getting people to violently enforce our edicts because we don't have public support. Uh, the second people uh, no longer recognize the legitimacy of some people having the right to rule others or the status double standard you could call it. Then this thing ends and while not, it's not impossible. For war you stop the primary drive for people to go to war the existence of a state that gives you legal justification and the alleged moral justification for no one else to hold them to the standard you would clearly hold anyone else to um, so yeah that that's the uh, the, the main uh, takeaway um, if uh, anyone wants uh, more information on this they could check out the libertarian Institute the search engine uh, has a lot of material you can enter. Syria, Yemen. Check out our news roundup by gentlemen like uh, Kyle Anzalone. We got uh, tons of uh, material there.
0: Yeah, well, thank you very much for coming on and talking about all this. And like I said, I've had a couple conversations with Keith in the past. You can go check out his YouTube channel, which is linked in the description, as well as his Twitter. Is there anywhere else you want people to follow you or any interesting projects you got coming up?
1: odyssey.com most importantly yes Uh, just because i'm at uh, i guess that strikes actually get removed after 90 days on youtube but um i had had a video that was on private it was a discussion with james perloff on covid and lockdowns and their effectiveness and that was uh removed the algorithm just took it down and gave me a strike And then I had had another strike for summarizing Phil Magnus's work on uh, COVID from the American Institute for Economic Research. So, yes, odyssey.com, please.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Keith. We will certainly do this again. I enjoy your content. uh, And thanks for coming on.
1: Peace, brother.